Alumni Audio Lab. Welcome to Alumni Audio Lab. This is our episode number 17. The Alumni Audio Lab is the podcast from the OEAD, which is the Austrian Agency for International Mobility and Cooperation in Education, Science and Research. My name is Doris Bauer and I talk with alumni who have studied or done research in Austria within different scholarship programs and in many different disciplines. We talk about the life, the research, the background and sometimes also about current events and developments. Today, I would like to welcome Dr. Rahel Bekele from Ethiopia. Rahel, you're an associate professor at the University of Addis Abeba at the School of Information Science. That's right. You are working and researching in the field of ICT, Information and Communications Technologies, for quite a long time now. You earned a master's degree in information science already in 1992, a time when, for example, I just realized that the internet exists. <laughs> in 2005, you obtained your doctor in computer science, and today you are involved in a wide variety of activities. One of these is a research cooperation with Austria. You are the local coordinator of a project called TMAC, Technology Enabled Maternal and Child Health Care. This is a cooperation between the Addis Ababa University and the University of Linz in Austria, and it is funded by APEER, the Austrian Partnership Program in Higher Education and Research for Development. Rahel, I'm happy that you're here today. Thank you very much for coming. I'm also happy to be here. Thank you for receiving me. So let's get back in time a little bit for my first question to the early 90s, when you did your studies in information science. What was information science back then? That's really a good question because I didn't know what information science was when I joined the program because we were the first. Uh, the school opened like a year after I graduated. So I, I was waiting actually as a graduate assistant. And uh, when the school opened, I joined the program. It used to be called School of Information Studies for Africa. It actually opened for Eastern and Southern African countries. So I was the first female student to graduate in information science back in 1992. And it was the time the EPRDF was about to come to the country. So there was a lot of chaos, like we didn't have classes in between and the like. But when I was uh, given the opportunity to join the program, I had to look for different literatures because there was no internet. So I had to look for sources of information from like people who know information science. So the questions that they used to give me was, is it related to journalism? Or we don't know what information science is. Are you going to involve in some kind of spying activities or, you know, there were different uh, issues. But eventually we found out that information science is more about making information possible through the use of technology. And um, there were people from Sudan, Swaziland, uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, the Eastern and Southern African countries. That's how I started. But now for us, information science means a lot more than it used to do in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, we changed it to information systems and the like. 
And you already said you didn't have internet back then. So how was the study on on what was the study based or were the studies based if you didn't use internet or computer or you have to rely on materials available in the library whether they are outdated because back then it was difficult to find a lot of updated materials and then uh, we had also professors from india so they bring some materials with them when they come because it started with instructors from india around the middle of our uh, class the PADIS, that's I think Pan-African Development Information System, it started in UN, that is in UNECA. So we started to be connected to the internet somehow, mm-hmm. and we we started getting some information, but even then, the, the literature available on the internet was so much limited. Actually, my master's study related to application of computers in higher learning institutions which is which has become a history now because everybody uses computers and what is this pan african development um sorry information system um, they call it padis i'm not really sure of the abbreviation but they were promoting the use of internet the use of technology in uh, unesa that is economic commission for africa mm-hmm. so there were some people also coming to give us lectures So we had only one connection, just one connection, which the instructors used to go through, and then they give us some information. So even email was not existing at mm-hmm. that time. And how long would you say did it take until the internet and the computers were, let's say, widely spread in Africa? Or let's say Ethiopia, because you can't say it for all of Africa. I would say... I graduated in 1992, even around 2000, we had a telephone modem connection, and I have to be in the office, nowhere else, mm-hmm. to access the internet, mm-hmm. and it has to go through modem, that mm-hmm. is modulator, demodulator, and uh, email was like something new for us, so I, I had a Hotmail account, And uh, that was the only thing that I wanted to use. And I thought that if I lose this, then, you know. Yeah. yeah so that that was how we started. But but now the penetration has become very good. Even we have a mobile data connection. All, of course, the internet connectivity is somehow slow. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not reliable always. Mm-hmm. But the penetration is very high now as compared to the time when I was mm-hmm. a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also everyone in Europe who is older than 30, 35 can remember the first modem connections which took yes. years until it started. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And it gives you different sounds of the... Yes. Was it already going in the direction to the use of computers or was information science and library science somehow connected? So the organization of information and that. In fact, it was connected. Even when people came came from India, they were already professors in library science. So like when I was a student, the trend was towards going to library science. Right now, it is completely different. But 
like the, even the lectures that I had as a student, as a master student, was somehow oriented to in library and information science. Already after your master's degree, you joined the university in an academic and in an administrative and management way. You've been lecturer at the Department of Library and Information Science, and after a few years, you also became head of this department. How did it come that you have been so strongly involved in this department? Um, when actually, I have been working um, in the university for 30 years now. I joined as a graduate assistant because they had um, this plan of opening the School of Information Studies for Africa. So they wanted um, students from different disciplines. So I had a colleague from mathematics. I was from statistics. So uh, when we joined this school, it was with the opinion that we would also start teaching in the area of library and information and science. But then the, I would say the numbers were very limited. So as I have told you, I was the first to graduate in information science, the female, and my colleague who is now in the US teaching at the University of Albany was the first to graduate also in information science. So we were limited in number. And uh, maybe that is the reason why I had to be the department head because of the limited number of uh, people. So I, I, I was the head of the department. I started in 1998. Normally, it's a two years round. You become mm -hmm. the head and then you give it to the next person. That's how it works. After another few years, you left your, for your PhD. You went to Hamburg in Germany and obtained your doctoral degree in 2005. Was Germany your first choice, or why did you want to leave at all? Um, I don't know if you remember, in 2000, there was this International Women's University, which was announced all over the world, and I applied for that. And um, my uh, very good friend and my mentor, even up to now, Professor Christiana Floyd, was in charge of uh, one of the project area, which is called information. So I won that program and went to Hamburg for three months. And then when I came back, it was already six years since I got my master's. So I applied to dad for a scholarship and I wrote her if she could receive me as a guest in the University of Hamburg. So she actually said, okay. So, and then I went for a dad scholarship and then we just discussed and said, why not I apply for my uh, PhD? And at that time, I had already uh, three children and I was pregnant with the next one. And then we said, okay, uh, we will do my uh, PhD in a sandwich program. So I applied to the University of Hamburg, so they accepted. And then I, I had to stay there for three months or so. And most of the works I did in Ethiopia, because also the area of the work that I was involved in was um, in high school students. Mm -hmm. So I had to be in Ethiopia and most of the cases doing the work. So I actually came back and forth from Addis to Germany. And that was for three, and for three years. Mm -hmm. And when did your connection to Austria start? start? Again, uh, around when I was finishing the, the two years uh, of my PhD studies, 
Um, I wrote a paper and it got accepted in Innsbruck. That was actually a turn of events because we started looking for funding. And at that time, I did not have any money to come next time for to even defend my PhD because all the source of funding was finished. Mm. So we applied to OAD and OAD said we cannot fund you this uh, conference presentation, but we'll be happy if you apply to give you a three months stay in Vienna. So Christiane Floyd, because she's an Austrian, said, okay, um, I have a professor who would be able to work with you. So I joined the Technical University of Vienna with Professor Gerti Kappel for a conference presentation. Somehow we managed to get money from the University of Hamburg, but then it didn't stop there. I applied and I came and stayed here in Vienna for three months, which gave me also the option of to go back to Hamburg and defend my thesis. This wouldn't have happened if I did not have a scholarship in Vienna because it was easy for me to go defend and come back. That was in 2005. And um, I've read since, since 2010 you are engaged maybe already longer in mobile health projects, especially for pregnant women and mothers. If you're pregnant in Austria, you're usually well protected in the social system. Also, if you're living in a rural area, you can go to the doctor all the time. And the TMAC project, which you're leading now from Ethiopia, is addressing pregnant women and mothers in the rural areas of Ethiopia. What is the situation there? How can we imagine that? The maternal mortality in uh, Ethiopia is very high. Sometimes we don't even rely on the statistics because we don't know how much uh, of the truth they are telling us. So that is also one uh, problem because there is child mortality, maternal mortality, infant mortality, and uh, the number of children who die uh, before reaching the age of five is also very high. Of course, uh, we cannot deny that it improves from year to year, mm -hmm. from time to time. But like Whatever you take as one digit in Austria might be three digits in Ethiopia. And then you see as a mother also and living in a de developing country, your heart reaches out to people living in the rural areas. Especially when you see the children and how they, they live poorly. You think of my children, okay, my children are more privileged than those people, but... These people do not, did not choose to live in that kind of environment. The mother did not choose to live in that kind of rural area. So we started talking about this, and again, with colleagues and, um, of course, with my husband, who is also now uh, doing a lot in, in the project, uh, because he's a software engineer, mm -hmm. and with Christiana Floyd, because she always had this... Um, her to go to Africa, help African people. And um, we have also Professor Pomberger, who was a colleague of uh, Christiana at some point. So we just discussed and said, why not we start this project and try to help the mothers mm -hmm. do a pilot study. And what, what are the reasons for these high rates of maternal mortality and infant um, mortality? One big reason, as we did the requirements, is lack of information because the mothers tend to stay at home when they are pregnant. They do not have real awareness of the complications that might arise from pregnancy. 
And then uh, in most cases also, they go to traditional birth attendants who work under unhygienic conditions. And uh, when there is complication, there is no one to uh, help them. On top of this, uh, they don't read and they don't uh, write. So they have low level of literacy. So the awareness is so low. And then even if when uh, they want to go to the health posts and the health facilities, the access road is problematic. Mm. They don't have transport. And then the connectivity is also problematic. So the ambulance do not reach them on time or they might be reluctant to call the ambulance. So, so sometimes the mother dies before giving birth or sometimes the child is born or the mother dies or sometimes the child dies after being born and the mother has goes through complications, mm -hmm. for example. And then there are also early marriage problems. So women will be exposed to fistula cases. To what, sorry? Uh, the to fistula is like they don't anymore control mm -hmm. their bowel movement and, um, you know, mm -hmm. so they have to be operated and they have to be fixed properly. This is because they give birth before they, they are fully mature. So that kinds of awareness, there are lots of complications. So what we are working now is just a small part of the problem. Um, so with this mobile application, because now the mobile have penetrated to almost all over the country, mm -hmm. you find that everyone uses a mobile phone in one way or the other. So we started exploring the mHealth applications, the use of mobile phones to reach mothers. And then there is this health extension worker who are working at the lowest administration level of the health facilities. We call it health post. And they are just 10th grade graduates trained for one year to attend to mothers. And they treat also malaria and some uh, small communicable diseases. So we said, why not we try to help them get more information? so that they, can, they will be in a position to help the mother more. Who takes care of pregnant women in rural areas of Ethiopia? In the first place, there are um, the health extension workers, as um, I've said. The government has um, trained more than 30,000 health extension workers who are just graduate 10th grade, 10th grade completes, like two more years of education to complete high school. So this will be replaced for one year of education and they uh, tend to sit at the lowest government level and attend to mothers. These are very young female uh, health extension workers. So as far as the history goes, no men are health extension workers. These are all women. Is this intended to be so or I, is it I just... I think so. This is women for women and... Uh, It's also to increase women's participation in health and also to give them employment and uh, different uh, things. And uh, if the health post cannot um, solve the problems, the health extension worker refers them to the next higher level, which is called the health center. And at the health center, you find health officers mm -hmm. who are trained for four years. So they are not actually typical doctors. So you find the doctors who are trained for six years in hospitals. So they have primary uh, hospitals. 
And that is how it works. Mm -hmm. So the first point of attendance for the mothers is the health extension workers. And, and do the mothers have to to come to the health extension workers or are they mobile? Yes, and they have like two days at the health post and then three days they have to work. But as uh, our requirements shows, they don't go from house to house as often as they should because of the distance problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't find the mother at home. And uh, sometimes it becomes simply too much for them to go because they also have other responsibilities. Other than attending the mothers, they tend to go to educate other people or they involve in agricultural extension. There may be other uh, issues. So that is one. And, uh, and within two days also, the mothers can go to the health post for vaccination or for follow-ups and so on. But the mothers forget to do so. Okay. Or they have a lot of house work. work. So they are very busy simply to attend to themselves. So that's what happens. How are the men addressed in your project? Because pregnancy, it focuses primarily, primarily on women, it's for sure. Are men how somewhere involved? The husbands or the fathers of the, of the pregnant women? or Yeah. Right now, when we did the requirements, we have realized the importance of including men because uh, our project might not be successful if we don't involve men. And mostly we work in the Muslim community and the family planning like the condoms, the pills and so on. It's not really acceptable in the religion. So they don't want to take that and the men do not allow them to text that that's also one problem but and then we also had the doubt that the husband might take the phone away from the mother so now right now what we are designing is this is a sim free phone that we are giving to the mother so even if he takes it the only information that he gets is information on health information on nutrition and so on so even if he takes it from her He will be educated himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the baddest thing. <laughs> yeah. And we have the hope that he will also train her. Because some people also mentioned that if we give the husband the mobile phone, he might still have the upper hand and order mm. her to go to the health center or to eat this and that and the like. But yes, as you're, as you've said, the husbands are not in supporting position for the women. One is the religion, the other is the access to information. They are, their awareness level is very low. In the long run, uh, we hope also to address this. But you haven't seen somehow success in somehow educating the men as well by now? Um, no. But then like when we go from house to house collecting the data, And um, we have a plan to give some mobile phones as a pilot test to the mothers. And some men have an Android application, uh, an Android mobile. So we have a plan that whenever we find those men, we will also install the applications. Because like, even if they don't care about their wife, they will care about their children. Because the application has information about children too. 
So that's yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. Just to, to get it right, you give mobile phones to the persons or you install the application on their mobile phones? I install the application. Install the application. Yeah, the mobiles are meant only for the mothers. Pregnant mothers, we yeah. plan to give it to 250 pregnant mothers so that uh, we will follow her up during pregnancy and see the change that she has made as a result of using the mobile application and probably two, three months after giving birth because PNC is also important, the child is important. Mm-hmm. PNC and is what? That's the postnatal care mm-hmm. because she needs to uh, make a follow-up even after she, gave, she gives birth, which most women do not do. And where are you right now in the project? In If you look at the, at the running time, are you in between? We have just finished the softwares, the requirements and everything. And uh, it's uploaded on the server, which at the time being is kept at the University of Linz. Because for all sorts of eventualities like losing connectivity and losing the data and, you know, we... We can no, never be sure in Ethiopia yeah. or in any developing country for that matter. So we have completed the software. So the software is live and we will keep on testing until December. And the intervention starts in January. Mm-hmm. The real application with mm-hmm. 250 mothers in the experimental Warada, which is Mescan, in part of uh, about 130 kilometers from Addis. And then we will just have a control mothers, 1,000 pregnant mothers in the other part of the city, that's Marocco. And then we will control the use of the mobile phones over nine months. Mm-hmm. That is a period of pregnancy. And then we will have in-line collection. Our expectation is the awareness that they have on health will improve as a result of. So that's what we are hoping for. Yeah, no, good yeah. good luck with that. Yeah. Would you say, um, as I said before, in Austria, it's, in my opinion, easier to be pregnant because you have this social system. Would you say that Ethiopia or African countries have a stronger interest or need to use these ICT applications for healthcare you, like you use it in your project? Is this somehow a pioneer project? In no, uh, this is not a new project, but there... I I myself have been involved in two projects. One was with Clinton Health Access Initiative, where we sent message to health extension worker on expected delivery date of a mother, which did not really work out because we found out that the health extension workers were not really committed to communicate the information to the mother. And I was involved in World Bank project also, We also try to see the use of mobile phones. Not only this, but there are a lot of projects. But we found that uh, some of them are short-lived and some of them, when the funding stops, they also stop the project, so the issue of sustainability. And some of them, they just dump whatever they have done into the health extension workers. So the health extension workers, at the end of the project, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know the use. So our project is more of participatory. So we involve the health extension worker, the mothers, from the beginning. So they know what we are doing. So they actually say, why don't you leave the tablets and let us use the system instead of just 
coming and testing. And then we said, okay, there will come a time where we give the system. And then uh, we are also planning for sustainability as much as possible. We are going to approach now the Ministry of Health because we have a working system. So we'll be showing and demonstrating the system. So our plan is, at least we hope, once the intervention works, the Ministry of Health will be able to take over the project and apply it nationally. Of course, we will be able to help, and uh, it's our commitment because uh, we need to bring change to the lives of mothers in rural areas. So there are lots of projects, and one other thing is they don't share the lessons learned, the best practices, the challenges, and the like. Why so not? it's just like it's not in our uh, system to share what you've done to the others. And especially in the area of this ICT for development, you don't find a lot of workshops and, uh, and the like being held in the country. So what we have started, maybe we can say that we, have, we are trying to encourage workshops conferences to be organized so that people share what they have. So instead of becoming competition, we'd like to make it kind of cooperation mm-hmm. between the various ICT development projects. Because if we cooperate, we can bring a lot of change. Sure. So that's where we are. So mm-hmm. we are not pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> One of your research interests is also like in this project Gender and ICT. How do you see the situation of women and gender equity right now in Ethiopia? I have not done a lot of research in this, but just like any other developing countries or in Ethiopia also, in rural areas, women are seen as part of the society who who should just help at home. But the kind of contribution that they make, the kind of time that they spend working, and the kind of support they give to their children is never counted. So... They are just called housewives, and um, that is the, the kind. But where we have gone uh, to collect the requirement studies, there are also women farmers. But also there is the issue of a um, husband marrying two, three, having two, three wives. So in some places, the wives are like sisters. So they support each other. If one gives birth, the other tends to take care, to take care of her and so on. But in some cases, you find that the husband has completely left one wife and has gone to the other. And in that case, you really see distress from the part of the women. They don't have income. If they get sick, they don't have anyone to which attends to them and, and the like. So we cannot say like the gender equity is as high as, uh, at least at the level which is expected to bring mothers to a certain standard of living. So uh, with our project, what we plan is to give more information to the women so that some kind of women empowerment comes into picture. We are trying to contribute also to two of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. One is bringing gender equity, women empowerment, and the other is addressing the health challenges of developing countries. We're, We're trying to reach there, but we cannot say that there is gender equity. One of your activities beside the university is that you are working with and for prisoners at the Addis Abeba prison. 
you are engaged here there for more than 10 years what is this project about or this engagement <laughs> that's uh, that's a long story my husband was uh, chief executive officer of telecom in ethiopia uh, before that he used to be the vice president of aau but somehow the government decided that he would contribute better if he's placed at telecom because the telecom was in chaos at some point of course um, a lot of people including myself argued with him that he should never join telecom but he said as long as they require me as long as my country needs me he joined the telecom and um, he worked there for three years no not as a wife but as a person who really saw his work he did a lot of good things at telecom which is said by many people but in the course of doing this you also bring up enemies yeah, that is everywhere so after three years he um, he resigned from telecom he was also asked to resign or they actually allowed him to resign he started doing his phd with professor floyd and after two years of uh, phd he was put into prison he was charged of four cases which he did during his time in telecom for instance one of the cases was uh, the ericsson should never have won the mobile expansion project while the chinese companies have given a lot less price for mm-hmm. but then um, you know that first you see the technical evaluation and then the, the, you go to the so they argued a lot but it didn't happen so he went to prison and he was imprisoned for seven years but during the time when he was in prison he started uh, maintaining the software and you know he saw the lives of the people how information was handled so he immediately went into business so he started fixing the different problems he helped in software and then uh, the austrian ambassador heard about this from professor floyd so he said he would be willing to help in this project as long as it improves the lives of prisoners and then professor gustav pomberger from linz he said he would be willing to send desktop computers to the prison as long as again it improves and then professor christiana floyd had a, a sister who once was a wife of a diplomat an ambassador mm-hmm. in kenya so she arranged the transport it was just a miracle so the desktops arrived in the prison and we had money to buy all the networks and and the like and then uh, because he used to teach in the university a lot of lots of uh, what we have today as teachers instructors and working in different companies where his students mm. so the ones in the university opted to train the police to train the prisoners in using the network and so on so the police became very good in uh, operating the computers and you see it was um, a good help for the prisoners because their files now is in the computer so they don't miss their appointments they don't miss their release date because the computer automatically says so and so will be released on this date mm-hmm. and so and so will have an appointment on this date so it was a lot of help so i would say the seven years were not wasted so they created a real change of environment around the uh, prison i was 
acting as liaison between the prisoners and the Austrian embassy because the Austrian embassy could not give the money to the prisoners. So I was actually coordinating the outside activities from the side of the Austrian embassy and then from the side of the prisoners. Mm -hmm. That was how I was involved. Mm -hmm. And your husband is free now? He's free. He was released in 2014. And now he is working just as a private consultant. But he has a big role in advising this project, the TEMAC, because he has a lot of experience in software engineering. And in fact, uh, they are also extending the activities of TEMAC and uh, improve the functionality of the software so that when it comes to applying it on a nationwide um, scale, it will have better functionalities, mm -hmm. better features and, and the like including, for example, a feature for changing languages. Right now we are just considering one of the languages. You have been involved, as you already said, in projects of the World Bank and the Clinton, uh, Clinton <coughs> Health Access Initiative. I assume even compared to the TEMAC project, which is not a small project, rather medium-sized one, where do you see the advantages or disadvantages from very big projects to medium big projects let's say like this um, or are they even comparable yes they are comparable they are almost all at the sa around the same scale because like in world bank we worked in uh, three districts of uh, in southern and uh, in the southern uh, area and uh, in clinton had health access initiative normally the NGOs when they come to ethiopia they would select the Waradas where the, or the districts where they would like to work on because they cannot address all the problems in the country. So one NHO may work in the south and then like some part of the south. So the Clinton Health Access Initiative had two or three Waradas in, in the north and two or, two or three Waradas in the south and so on. Mm -hmm. So the scale was limited. So in most cases, we are at the pilot stage, at the trying stage, what works and what doesn't. But I learned a lot from this project. So the mistakes that we did in all those projects, I make sure that TEMAC does not do the same mistake. Mm -hmm. That's why we started with the health extension workers. But the level of application, in fact, TEMAC might be a little bit higher in terms of the applications that it has developed because We have a system for mothers, we have a system for health extension workers, and we have a system for health officers. Because health officers can make communications with experts in case of difficult cases and the like. So we can say TEMAC is on a higher stage than the others. When you now look at your more than 30 years experience in information science and information technology, what were the major changes in these 30 years, especially in Ethiopia? The quality of education deteriorating from time to time. Lack of motivation of students. Back in the old days, we worked for the knowledge. But now we have reached a stage where paper matters, the certificate matters mm -hmm. more than the knowledge. So it's, it's being difficult to change the behaviors of students to tell them to or gain the knowledge much more because whoever wants to employ them, they would re rely more on their knowledge. So I hope that will change for 
because with the changing environment and um, changes in Ethiopia, the students will be able to realize that knowledge matters more than the paper. But that is one that I have observed. But what is the what is the reason for that? Is it somehow resignation it, or? It, it's also like we take students more than our capacity. Right now there are about 32 universities and uh, probably half of them do not have the necessary infrastructure. So when students are placed in such kinds of universities, they say, okay, let me have the paper and then I will do the knowledge later, mm -hmm. which they will never do. And there are shortage of instructors now because we can't cope with the 32 universities to have equipped and knowledgeable and, uh, you know, to a certain level of professors to teach in the different universities. You can't blame the students, but, uh, you know, we need to do a lot of things mm -hmm. to change this and bring back the education where it is now, where it was like a long time ago. So would you say it would be better to have less universities but with higher quality I of mean, infrastructure? No, the idea of having increasing the number of universities is good. But we are of the opinion that they should not start unless the infrastructure is in place. Internet infrastructure, even water, electricity, facilities like dormitories, cafeterias and lots of other things, you know. The students should feel that they are at the college, not at some remote place where mm -hmm. nothing is mm -hmm. uh, possible. And then, you know, they, they may start getting some kind of comfort and they may concentrate on their studies. But we hope that this will change for for the best for positive. I have two more questions. I might ask you one personal question. You already said it. You are the mother of four children. And you have so many positions. We have talked just about a few now. How do you manage all that? I mean, your day has also 24 <laughs> hours like mine, but I've read your resume and... I went to a Protestant school during my primary years. I never really uh, believed in, in God, but seeing where my children have arrived now and... Uh, The lots of difficulties that we have gone through, I have started saying there really is God somewhere. Because sometimes you learn the hard time. Because like my my children say that I'm a strong mother, I did that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people also say this, but I would say, would I be able to do this in spite of the help that I had through so many people? Or in spite of the strength that I got from God, because one of my children is finishing his master's and two of my daughters are in Ivy League in the U.S. with a full scholarship. And one is just 16 years old and, you know, she's by herself. So the only thing that I did when they grew up was helping them do the work. I mean, do their work. And I really pushed them to do much more so. I know they hated me. Of course they will. But also they saw how strong their father was, even in the prison. And uh, every week when they go to prison, the things that they, they, it's like being charged. They go there, they are charged, and for a week they are, they are good. 
And then when they are about to lose their control, they go to the prison, they are charged, and they go back. So it has been like that for seven years. And as we didn't, uh, didn't say it before, your husband was prisoned for four things, <laughs> but he, he didn't do it. He, he was... I think it would be difficult for me to say this. Yeah, sure, sure, you're not the <laughs> It judge, would have been better for others to say it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, but all we know is he was very busy serving his country. He was very busy teaching students. He was very busy trying to improve the mobile and the internet situation in the country. So he didn't know that he, it, this was coming for him. So we still do not know who is behind this or who did. Whenever he's asked, have you ever been charged with corruption? He should say yes or no, because he has been charged with corruption. But time will tell. Okay, my last question. What are your plans for the future? Uh, my plans for the future, in fact, um, one is Temak is in my heart. So I tend to continue with Temak because there are lots and lots of topics that need to be addressed. That is on my uh, professional side or my professional growth side. But we have a plan to start a college of our own so that the visions that we have, the ideas on what colleges look like or, you know, something that you really think would like to put it into the table and try it. So that is another plan that we have. And uh, the other is um, I would like to involve more in uh, charity activities because uh, in spite of the information access and so on, there are still children outside on the street with no mother, with no father and so on. So if time allows, I would like to do something for them because now I'm 51 And I don't know how longer <laughs> I will live because the life expectation in Ethiopia, the average life expectancy rate is very low. So I have already passed that age. Yeah, <laughs> statistics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that is, that's my plan. Okay, Rahela, thank you very much for thank having you. this talk with me yeah. and for being here. Good thank luck you. with all your projects. Thank you. Thank you too. Bye. <laughs> Alumni Audio Lab.